Welcome to Ride Around the Road, the creative podcast that helps you get those pesky voices out of your head and onto the page. And remember, it's the journey that matters. And welcome to another episode of Ride Around the Road. Today, we're off to the most beautiful city in the world, downtown Sydney, and one of uh, the prettier parts of Sydney. Uh, that I used to sail on in the olden days, and that's all I'm going to tell you. I'd like to welcome today the beautiful D.M. Cameron, author of Beneath the Mother Tree. Uh, Hi, Donna. Hello. Thank you for having me, Mel. Yeah. Now, a little secret out of the bag there, D.M. Cameron actually stands for Donna Cameron, but D.M. sounds so (laughs) professional that I love it. Uh, We've got a lot of authors I've had on lately are going by their their initials, and it sounds fantastic. All right. Yeah, I didn't... um... Yeah, it wasn't a choice as such. I just, uh, when I went to do my website, Donna Cameron had already been taken, DonnaCameron.com. So, yeah, I decided to go with DM Cameron. (laughs) Yeah. Now, everyone, if you go and have a look at DM Cameron's website, DMCameron.com, I think it is, uh, it is absolutely beautiful. And there is this amazing image of um, our beautiful Moreton Bay fig, the mother tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now I'm going to start at the beginning because uh, I've just finished reading Donna's book and I am enamoured. Uh, it is the language is absolutely beautiful and it's a landscape novel of, of I guess I'd say Tim Winton style, but he doesn't dip into the beautiful mythology that you dip into, which is something that we'll talk about shortly. Uh, Donna is a playwright. She's an author. She's all sorts of things. She is a radio, what would you call yourself? Uh, a radio dramatist, yeah. That's the word I was looking for, everyone, <laughs> a dramatist. I was going to say dramatist. And, and you've won a lot of awards. Uh, you're a playwright, short film writer. This is your first novel. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I'm a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, getting down to the nitty-gritty of this book. All right, Donna, please give us a little overview of Beneath the Mother Tree without giving too much away because I think if I even began to speak about it, uh, everything intertwines with everything and I would be giving out spoilers all over the place. So I'm going to leave that responsibility to you. Yeah, well, it is it is hard to talk about without giving too much away, but uh, basically it's... Um, set on an island and it came from um, me wanting to explore my connection to country as a fourth, fifth generation Australian of mainly Irish descent and um, juxtaposing that with the Indigenous connection. So where I grew up in the Kondamooka region, which is uh, basically the southeast Queensland, like the Moreton Bay um, Islands and that coastal fringe land, um, there was a well there is a strong indigenous presence because of the mission that ran there for over fifty years so um I always had indigenous people in my life, and I suppose I took it for granted to a certain extent, but I always did wonder how I should connect to this country when i'm actually my heritage is from is not from here um i don't have that direct connection that they have and yeah, so I suppose that's um where the idea sprang from and then from there I um, my imagination just went wild and um, I don't really know how it all happened (laughs) it kind of the characters took over and yeah it um, 
it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and and look, we're not doing this. We're not doing the novel justice, and we're not doing my beautiful guest justice here. As I fumble my way through this introduction, but I'm going to let the secret out of the bag straight away, everyone. Uh, I read the book, loved every minute of it, made copious notes, and now I've lost them. Uh, so I will, I will <laughs> keep going. But basically. Uh, we'd like to say that this is an overnight success novel, but it's a bit like Christian White's novel that uh, I had Christian on the podcast really? recently, <laughs> and it's gone on to most amazing things overseas. Now, your novel, it doesn't fit neatly into any car- category, but I'd say it's, look, it's a, it's literary, everyone, it, but it's accessible. I think I read one review where I think the reviewer said nothing happens much, but she went on to love it. And I read this thing right from page one. I felt there was so much going on in the page simply because <laughs> uh, your writings are very visual and it's it's a landscape that I know and love we're talking about the coastland coastline Queensland coastline around Moreton Bay Islands and uh, Stratty Island and you get down into the mud everybody and you get into the mozzies and you can feel the Moreton Bay figs and you can feel the wind and you can almost feel this tree coming alive can't you yeah well um I think I really wanted to explore, um, yeah, well, now I'm, I'm being really strange. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think how I can um, sell it. Um, yeah, now we are going to get, yeah, we're going to get uh, Donna to read some of her novel, everyone, and I think we should do it at the beginning rather than at the end because we're both fumbling our way through this okay. and it's because it's undescri- indescribable. <laughs> it's indescribable, isn't it? So what I'm going to ask yeah. Donna to do right up front. Well, with- that's... Yeah, well, that's, um, that's a really good point, I think. It doesn't fit into a genre, so it is really hard to describe. And the thing about the genre is I didn't know about genres when I wrote it. I just wrote this thing um, not knowing what I was writing because I came from a script writing background. And then uh, when I started to send it out, publishers were saying, well, what is it? And people were saying, oh, some people were saying, no, it's definitely not literary, it's commercial. And then other people saying, no, it's definitely literary. And um, in the end, I don't know what it is. And one of the reviewers said it confounds genre, which I thought was really good. So, yeah, um, I'm kind of proud in a way that it can't be pigeonholed. So maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, I fell in love with it, everybody, and I, I thoroughly recommend it. It it just rolls off the tongue. It, it's visual. It's it's something that I try to do with my writing and it's nowhere near as successful as you, but I was so happy when I read it because, everyone, it's it does fit in its own space. And we'll talk about the publisher, Midnight Sun, who acquired the rights to the novel and, and the hopes and dreams they have for it. But let's sit back and have a little listen to Donna first, and that way both Donna and I can stop stumbling around about, uh, with what this thing is. Uh, over to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I just want to say, Mel, thank you so much. Like, um, I'm just overwhelmed with the reaction that this book's getting. I actually had no idea. So um, to hear you say that, it's really, um, yeah, touches something very deep in me, this reaction that's happening with I'm getting texts and messages every day at the moment and I had no idea that this would happen. (laughs) 
All right, I'll just read from the beginning and yeah, I'll let the book speak for itself. On the wind, Ayla heard a tune so sweetly mournful it made her toes curl in the sand. Had she imagined it? She glanced behind her to see the world had turned a sickly green. Even the rich red of mud rock was tinged. The pied cormorant's heart pounded against her wrist through the stained pillowcase. She placed its web feet gently on the shoreline, uncovering the head last. Freed, the bird skidded up the deserted beach. The only remaining sign of its ordeal with fishing line was a featherless patch on its curved neck. Go, Buster. Ayla knew not to name rescued wildlife, but a name always came. Buster opened his yellow beak and cried to the sky at the injustice before uncurling his oily blackness to glide over the water and behind the headland. Bye, Buster. Even my voice sounds green, she thought, as she heard it flop under the sand. She looked down to see her voice had turned into khaki seaweed, faded and brittle. She stood on it, imagining vocal cords crunching underfoot. The stench of rotting seaweed clung to the roof of her mouth. Moving out of the sinister shadow of the rock, she saw the source of the strange coloured light was the sun caught behind boiling black clouds miles out to sea, the storm that passed over earlier still lingering. A ripple came across the water, reaching the shoreline as a breeze, filling the air with electricity. Her hair stood on end as the eerie music came again, twining itself around her, drawing her up the beach into the pig face, its feathery flowers closing on the day. A thrill coiled through her as she followed the melody into the trees, creeping as lightly as soldier crabs scuttle across sand. Yeah. See, I told you, everybody, it's beautiful. And it goes on and on. Uh, the story is so very strong. And I can picture the characters because we all have them in our lives. Uh, we had Tilly. We had, I think there was Sharon. Um, and then you picture uh, Riley and Ayla and the grandfather. And it just, the characters keep on pouring through. You will recognise them, everyone, and I thoroughly recommend that you that you continue to seek out this book and read it. Uh, but I just wanted to stop now I want to talk about Midnight Sun and when they acquired Beneath the Mother Tree because again if you haven't listened to the Christian White podcast you might like to go back and refresh yourself because this one is destined for the same successes uh what what Midnight uh Midnight Sun have said oh with, wow that would be really good <laughs> <laughs> they've said we're thrilled to have won the rights to this exciting novel <laughs> which generated a great deal of interest as a manuscript uh, said Midnight Sun publishing director Anna Solding. There were several other publishing contracts on the table and we had to fight for this book. But what excites me more, it says, we anticipate Beneath the Mother Tree will garner interest overseas with its Australian setting, contemporary love story and universal themes. We'll be taking it to both London and Frankfurt book fairs. Now, I know Christian's book travelled far more widely than he did at first. Your book's off on an adventure. How do you feel? Well, I hope that's the case. I'm, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, um, it would be amazing if that happened. Yeah, I, I don't, it was very early days yet, but um, yeah. it would be a very wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit shy, aren't you? All right. I am, I am very shy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to, we'll knock that out of you as, as the, the future, um, progresses. Now you have this wonderful picture on your Facebook page and I always go hunting through Facebook pages to find out all the good bits. Um, and it's got Uncle Bob. Now he is, um, he helped you with your Indigenous research. Uh, mm. Uncle Bob is an, is an amazing character on his own. 
Yeah, well, he is um, a Nugi elder from uh, Mulgumpum, which is Moreton Bay Island, and a very beautiful, amazing man. We have gotten to know each other over the years quite well because um, the book actually took seven years to get published. So, um, yeah, during that time, we continued to meet and work on it. And, um, yeah, he changed my life in lots of ways, the way I saw uh, the landscape. Um, it, I was in my 40s when I found out about the massacres that had occurred in the Klondamooka region, and this is an area I'd known most of my life, so um, that had a big influence on the way the, um, well, the, the story took on a much darker aspect, I suppose, once I found um, those things out. And yeah, I just realized how ignorant I was on so many levels. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You talk about landscape, and I likened um, your writing to Tim Winton, but in a, in a, I guess this is going to be a weird thing, but in a much more female way, in a much more earthy way. Um, yeah, that, that is so funny because <laughs> I have a friend who, for years, she said she said, "Oh, you're the female Tim Winton." So that's funny you say that. I would love that, but I know that I am nowhere near his um, capabilities. He's just he is probably my favourite writer in Australia so yeah I wow that's lovely <laughs> yeah and we and look we do learn a lot of things as as we read and I guess it's the familiarity and for all our overseas listeners it's it's really important because it'll give you such a slice of the Australian coastline as you read I mean we've got our dugongs we've got our little um mosquitoes we've got uh the the mud crabs we've got the sucky mud of the of the mangroves. Now you have to go into a mangrove before you realise how badly they smell. Uh, and there's nothing romantic about them, everybody, but without yeah. them, we our river systems don't exist uh, and our, our fish stocks and all those kinds of things. And and you take us into those mangroves and you make it romantic. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, well, Tiffany McDaniel, um, an American writer who um, I've gotten to know, um, just because I absolutely loved her debut novel. And so she very kindly read the manuscript and she said, oh, all, all the names of the trees and things that, that we have over here, she said it's such an exotic landscape for her to read the book because there's, you know, goat's foot and pig's face and all these really unusual names. So, yeah, I, I do hope that it does get overseas. I think it would do really well overseas. Yeah, and look, it makes you want to jump on the on the ferry, everyone, and rush over to Stratty or Moreton Bay, and and go and walk through the walk through the landscape as you read this novel. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you were originally going. You talk about bringing down the moon. You had a play called Bringing Down the Moon, and I I mentioned in our um, pre correspondence that I was originally going to call my miner's wife Bringing Down the Moon, and I played with that whole landscape thing, and I wanted to be Tim Winton when I grew up as well. <laughs> uh, but you, but you also has that amazing it has that touch of fantasy or magical realism as as you dip into I don't want to say too much but as you dip into fairyland yeah well um I look forward to reading your books now Mel I'm I'm most intrigued um yeah well fairyland is uh one way to put it but it's also the book um I've written it on a level I hope that there's always a logical explanation for everything too. So it's not really, um, you know, it doesn't go crossover into that fantasy genre. 
um, because everything can actually be explained as well. So. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't think it was fantasy at all until I read the reviews and I thought, oh, missed that one. But it could have something to do with the Irish and the Celtic imagery and the grandpa and his stories and, and the birds. You talk about the birds all the time, the cormorants, mm. I think they are, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting how um, people have interpreted in different ways. Oh, you wait till it gets onto school syllabuses and you wait till you see what they start to do when we all get our kids analysing it. <laughs> oh god help them <laughs> yeah. uh, now it's interesting and it's something that the writers among us all want to know you said it took it was seven years in the making but you did have a stint as um i think it's a, at the varuna writer center in the blue mountains yeah well it it wasn't seven years in the making as such well I suppose it was because it just took seven years to get published, really. Um, I wrote it seven years ago and I did continue to work on it throughout that time, but um, it was really trying to get a publisher that held up that whole uh, process. Uh, yeah, so I did, um, I very, um, uh, I was very lucky to win a uh, LitLink residency at Varuna, which happened at a really wonderful um, time. Uh, I just had a big, I almost um, had a very well-respected literary agent come on board and then um, unfortunately I kind of stuffed up there and that didn't, and that fell through. So uh, then I won the lit literary, um, the LitLink residency and that really uh, came at the right time because I just lost incredible confidence with it and I suddenly thought oh it's not going to get published um, it's not worth anything I should just move on and then yeah I, I, I got to go to Varuna and work um, with a mentor there and uh, yeah that was really wonderful and took it to a whole other level and it wasn't long after that that um, the publishing offers came through. So, yeah. Yeah. And we remember, everyone, that a lot of books don't get published because they don't fit on the shelf in the right spot or the publisher has just published another novel that's similar or there are so many or, or, ors about why we don't get our, our work published. Um, but, again, I think this whole idea of persistence and believing in your work uh, comes through very strongly. I'm... I'm curious about the um, great literary um, agent who, who and why it fell through, but we're not going to ask that. You can whisper that to me later and I'll tell you later. Uh, but, but it's the same story we hear. Oh, it, was my, it was my fault. She, she asked me to make um, changes, which I did to a certain extent, but I didn't address all of the changes that she asked. And just because I was rushing, I, I was so excited to have her interested that I, and she kept saying, take your time, take your time. But, I was like, oh, I just can't make her wait any longer. So I just rushed it back to her and I didn't realise that she was basically saying you get one chance and, yeah, she said, oh, it's still not quite ready, which is true, it wasn't. Um, yeah, so it's a brutal bad. world. Yeah, it's a brutal world out there, yeah. everyone. Uh, yeah. When you go through literary agents, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that some of these small publishers are not only picking up picking up uh, some of these really amazing books, everyone, but they're taking you overseas and you know the Franken Book Fair and the London Book Fair. I think I should go over and look at it on the wall. 
it doesn't matter who or where you get published now. If if people are behind it and people love your work, it will it will find a home amongst the readers, and that goes for self publishing as well, um, of which I'm a strong advocate. It's yeah, hope, hopefully. See, my publisher, Midnight Sun, is very. It's a very small publishing house, so I don't know about their capabilities for the overseas um, market. I mean, she definitely. Um, will do her best but you know she's basically a one-woman show and um yeah she's she doesn't probably have the same pull as a, as a bigger publishing house um, yeah unfortunately so yeah I think those times are changing and plus you've got a new novel in the wings and ideas for a third uh and you've certainly come with an amazing pedigree before you even hit the novel writing stage uh, all those things have got to combine to to continue to grow you as as a writer uh and and the way you write is is people are just going to respond to what i know oh thank you i i still yeah i'm i'm so relieved i've got to say i i was very nervous about being published because i really didn't know what i was doing i've never done a creative writing course and um yeah it's it's a it's so wonderful to hear you say that i that's just great <laughs> um we've got a shy writer on our hands here everybody clearly <laughs> she hasn't listened to writer on the road before uh, this woman this beautiful woman sitting in front of me she's she's published plays she's um been nominated for it's awgie awards for your abc radio play watertight orgy yeah. what on earth an is an orgy what's an orgy i always wanted one Okay, that's the Australian Writers Guild um, uh, prizes, so nominations that um, happen every year. Um, yeah, they don't have them for novels, sadly, but in the script writing um, arena. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay, I'm going to push on a little further. What about <laughs> the Cannes Film Festival? Oh, well, um, so I wrote a little play called The Salt Maiden, which um, won an award and then it went on to be a radio play. And then I was approached by Films That Speak and I wrote a screenplay for that. And then they took it to the Cannes Film Festival and it won a couple of awards back here in Australia. Unfortunately, it didn't place in Cannes, but... Um, yeah, it's a beautiful little film. Um, I'm really proud of it. And they did a wonderful job. So, yeah. Let me keep going here, everybody. Recipient of the Australian Writers Guild Queensland Theatre Company Mentorship Scheme and twice recipient of the Fresh Ground Scheme at the Judith Wright Centre of Contemporary Arts. Uh, I, won't, I won't let you speak just yet because you're, you're only going to undermine yourself again. A graduate of the NIDA Playwright Studio holds a BA in theatre at the University of South Queensland and a Master's in Playwriting Queensland University of Technology. Uh, there, there's some skills that the rest of us may not have acquired just yet. <laughs> oh, well, um, yeah, I suppose I did write a few plays before I wrote a novel. <laughs> yeah. oh, good, good preparation for a novel. <laughs> it's, it's hard, isn't it? You know, you've put your little baby out in the world and you're all insecure. Everyone, this is probably normal. 
Uh, and I guess uh, as a mentor, I see it in my young writers all the time. I'm watching my own daughter, Sam, come through. She's read your um, credentials, Donna, and she's going, oh, please give me those opportunities. You have to work hard. These things don't come your way for no reason. And it's interesting too, you've picked up, and I wanted to speak to you about this down the track, you've picked up a, a regional arts development fund grant, which allowed you to work with an editor. So that, that again is all, people have been believing in you all the way through, haven't they? Yeah, well, you know, that's a wonderful thing about um, Queensland. Uh, when I lived up there, you can have access to the Regional Arts Development Fund if you are regional, whereas now I'm in New South Wales, there is no such thing as the Regional Arts Development Fund, um, which is a great shame, I think. Um, because I, I found that fun really helpful over the years as an artist um, mm. to support my work. And, yeah, but I have to say, even when I was writing scripts, I often heard in prose. So I think I have always actually been a novelist, but because I was an actor originally, I fell into script writing and then... Uh, I, yeah, I think, you know, everything happens for a reason, but ultimately I think I should have always been writing novels because when I did write this book, I felt suddenly so liberated. My voice felt liberated finally, and I wasn't just having to think in dialogue all the time. So that um, is a really good thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, th I think it comes across everyone. There's, I could open up this book that I'm holding here in front of me. I could hold it up at any page and, and I could find something in it that I could just read and go, oh, wow, I wish I could write like that. And it might be something about, I don't know, Riley was playing his flute in the mangroves and a, a bird was listening and the sound went up into the sky. You make it sound so effortless your your descriptions are so effortless your your imagery is so effortless uh what were what was some of the feedback that you got as you went through with the people helping you along the way like at the Varuna Centre and your and your editor oh well yeah Nicola O'Shea she was the first really to look at it and um she just said yeah that was the first hope I had because she said my god I've it's the most whimsical, remarkable voice I've heard in a long time. And she's a very uh, well-known editor in the industry. And that just made me go, wow. And she gave me a list of um, people she said I needed to send it out to. And um, yeah, so that was really positive. Um, and then uh, my mentor, Kim Swivel at Varuna, she, she, she was working much more on, um, you know, by that stage, I was really down to line editing and stuff. So she was fantastic in that um, she helped me um, pull back some of the, um, you know, writing, like, uh, yeah, um, I'm being really inarticulate for a writer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and it goes from that very very I guess that very literary prose that that has you going wow and 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 really immersing yourself in that to this very practical story where you talk about us and you talk about you know drunkenness and you talk about 
slovenly women and you talk about, I guess, the boat guys, the barge guys and some of the language they use. It's, we, know, we know the characters in this book really well, don't we? We've all met them. Yeah, well, there are four different voices in the book. So um, depending on who's telling the story, so um, the writing does change accordingly. Yeah, so Ayla's voice is a bit more lyrical and Grappa's is more, um, you know, how you going? Grappa's, I'm allowed to say, is the drunken grandpa. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but I love him. I've got to tell you, he's one of my favourite characters. He is my favourite, got to yeah. say. <laughs> I really enjoyed writing him. He made me laugh out loud and, um, yeah, he was so much fun. Yeah, it's, um, this, is, this is just one little thing. When Grappa awoke with the sides of his mouth crusted shut, the sun was high in the sky and there was a dent in his head where the binoculars had slipped. <laughs> I thought, how do you think? How do you think of lines like that? I don't know. They just come. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's enough of telling you how good the book is, everybody, and how shy this beautiful author is who has so much talent. You've, you're working on a second novel, or you're you're working on a second one, and you've got a third one in the wings. What what kinds of ideas have you got for that? Yeah, well, I've written one which I'm not quite happy with, so I've put it away for a while. Um, and this third one now that I'm working on, um, well, it's just a bit too embryonic to, to talk about, really, but uh, it's a bit of a road trip and, again, a thriller, um, love story, a bit of myth thrown in, again, bringing myth into a contemporary storyline uh hopefully it'll just be one uh point of view this time instead of the alternate alternating voices but it's still too early to there i would like to write a sequel to beneath the mother tree but that is set in ireland so i need to get funding for that um so on my website i've just gone third maybe second book like just depends which one gets published first I suppose yeah <laughs> or which which one I finish first I'm, I'm a slow writer I'm a slow reader um do everything a bit slowly so yeah and I don't think I'm giving any secrets away but I, I would love to follow your characters to Ireland I was I was intrigued uh when when I read that and how the story could develop in Ireland. I lived in Ireland for a little while and I, I love the Irish voice. Um, which I've, reminds never, me. I've never been there. I just can't wait to get there. Oh, they have the best writers in the world and I think I think I could just imagine you writing over there. It would be so exciting. Mm. <laughs> are, you, are you having this recorded? Are you going to have an audio book out for it? I hope so because I've got to say every time I've read my book out loud, I've done so many... Um, you know, author talks and stuff recently, and everyone's come up and said, oh, "Are you are you doing the audio book?" <laughs> Which is really lovely. Um, I suppose because I was an actor for so many years, I would love to do my own audio book. Um, so yeah, I suppose I'll I'll approach some some of the companies and see if they're interested. And yeah, because audio books are big now. Uh, look, everyone, uh, this woman is a radio dramatist. You heard the snippet that she read for us. We'd all put our hands up and get you to read our books for us, Donna, but it's extremely <laughs> time-consuming and I, I think I'd rather see yeah. you write more novels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think if someone was going to record my book, I'd like to have first dibs at it because, um, yeah, I don't know. 
I, I would like to record my own book. That would be nice. Oh, this woman is so much talent. We, we need to give her a little push along here, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, teaching and acting, uh, do, you, do you still teach? I do, yeah. I, I um, run private acting classes and I also am on call just at the local high school as an English drama teacher um, just to pay the bills because, as you know, writing doesn't pay much. <laughs> We're not in it for the money. <laughs> do you think now's a good time, everyone, to tell her about uh, our our indie publishers who are doing so very, very well. We know an awful lot of indie publishers who do very, very well, Donna, but they it doesn't take them seven years to write it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I know. I, I was shocked, actually, when I found out the industry standard is 10% of retail price. I've got to say, that shocked me. Um, yeah. I had no idea that that was the case. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot more choices out there now and a lot more. Some some people are going hybrid, some people are going indie and, and doing it them all themselves. I can but understand I, why, yeah. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that your voice and your stories will be heard simply because of the quality of them. And and also um, you, you do have this great track record, which we've gone through at great length now, and you can find out more on Donna's website, everybody. Uh, but what I'm going to do is because we are running out of time and we're going over the same territory. I can't say anything more about it other than recommended that you read it, everyone. I'm actually going to do something a little bit different and I'm going to ask you to read a little bit more. Is it all right? Yeah, absolutely. Just read some of the first chapter because I think that's where your strength is. Your strength, the way you sell your work, is to actually, uh, I think, read it. Should I read from where I left? Yeah, just chapter one, just a little bit of chapter one. I think you read a bit of a prelude before, didn't you? Oh, no, that was, okay, that's chapter one. Yeah, the chapter where, I'm just looking myself now, when the characters come in where she cooed to her grandpa and grandpa emerged from the cabin barefoot and bare-chested. This guy is not an attractive man, I don't think. So barefoot and bare-chested, I'm picturing an old guy. Uh, page 15. Page 15. Top of, okay. top of page 15. All right. Um, um, she cooed. Her grandfather emerged from the cabin barefoot and bare-chested. He waved, unhooked the dinghy and rowed to shore. Getting in or am I getting out? She was already in. The small rowboat felt safe and familiar and the stranger with his music could not touch her here. What? He rested his oars for a moment, the hem of his favourite shorts frayed now, the strands of white matching the hair on his chest. Hey? Usually go round the rock, not over it. She shrugged. Felt brave for once. Her grandfather rowed and said the wind was unsettled. She agreed and felt tingly all over. Climbing from the rowboat into Little Beauty, the mixture of smells she had known all her life, kerosene, fish guts and whiskey, wrapped comforting arms around her. They sat at the table that folded to a bed and he put the kettle on. You look flushed. She felt her hot cheeks and picked at the sand under her nails. He threw tea bags into chipped enamel cups, slurping a dash of whiskey into his. They waited for the water to boil, listening to the waves lapping against the boat as they always did. Ayla's heart began to settle. Tell me one of your stories, Grappa. Grappa had been the first word she had spoken, a failed attempt at Grandpa. Because Grappa was a form of alcohol, the island community thought it apt, so the name had stuck. Why? Ayla's heart tightened at the sad look on his crinkled face. It had been too long since she'd asked for a story. You told me about a dark-haired man once, far something. Daroka. 
Fadroka. She repeated it like a secret. God help those who fall under his spell. He said he played an instrument. Can do, a flute, a pipe, sometimes a drum. The one I met didn't play anything. You met one? Ayla acted as if she hadn't heard the story. When she was a child, this technique could always draw the tale from him. Up at the hall, the Stop Progress Association's annual mass ball was on, you know, the rest. Grappa was wise to her. She was 20 now, too old to get away with it. Tell me again. He looked at her sideways. Please? His voice dropped, so there was a dangerous edge to it. No moon that night. I remember because he'd appeared from nowhere, stepped straight out of the blackness. Not a soul had seen him catch the barge across. No water taxi back then. Barge was the only way on and off. Nettie and I weren't long married, but he took her under his spell. Last thing I remember was a twirling round with him. Couldn't take her eyes off the bugger like she was in a trance or something. What do you mean, the last thing you remember? Don't know. Lost time. Woke up on three mile with the sun in my eyes, sand in my ears, and couldn't for the life of me remember how I got there. You have got to read. You have got to record <laughs> your novel. You are so beautiful. You make a great grapper. <laughs> okay, everyone, we'll work on it. We'll get you. You will read beautifully. Um, all right, it's a landscape novel. We we talk about our indigenous culture. You use that wonderful word juxtaposition, juxtaposition between um, the Irish and the uh, indigenous cultures. It's what you wanted to explore at its very depth, isn't it? To go back and say why we're here and and how we become who we are. Yeah, and, you know, Uncle Bob answered it in the end. He said, it doesn't matter what name you give it. All these myths are teaching us the same thing. How do we speak to this country? Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you call it a rainbow serpent or a fairy, it's about respect for the spirit of the land. So, um, yeah, I suppose I'm exploring that, but on a really, it's, I'm making it sound really intellectual. It's actually just a really good ripping yarn, bit of a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll let Uncle Bob have the last word and not you. I think we need, I think we need to give you more, more encouragement. Uh, look, everybody, it does have that wonderful, wonderful landscape feel. Um, you can feel, you can, can feel the Indigenous culture. I don't want to give too much more of it away. Uh, where can we find you? Ah, so uh, if you go to my website, gmcameron.com, you can link into my Facebook page and my Instagram page from there. And thank you so much, Mel, for your support. It's actually been really hard being with a small publisher to get coverage for this book. And um, the fact that you have done this podcast is just absolutely wonderful. And uh, my publisher and I are very, very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> now, I found I found this on Instagram, I think, everybody. I think, Donnie, you put up a picture of that cover. Everyone knows I choose my guests by their covers of their books. Uh, uh, the Beneath the Mother Tree, it's got this amazing, I'm guessing it's a Morton Bay fig, although it's the skinniest Morton Bay fig I've ever seen. Actually, it's a strangler fig. Um, the The tree in the book is a Morton Bay fig but um, I didn't mind that they chose a strangler fig because there's a whole other level that happens um, with that cover once you've read the book. Um, 
Yeah. That we're not allowed, we're not talking about that. We're keeping secrets, yeah. remember? Yeah. Everyone knows what a good secret keeper I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I brought my copy, everyone, up at Rosetta Books in Mullaney. Uh, so oh. they've got it on prominent display up there. Thank um, you, Rosetta Books. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I believe it was launched in Brisbane. It was. Um, well, it was launched in Adelaide where my publisher's based and then I went up to Brisbane because that's where the book's set, um, in the southeast corner there at Avid and then we and then Better Read Than Dead um, had a Sydney launch. So, yeah, we had three launches, which was fantastic. I think you should just keep launching. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about books. They just keep on living. All right, that's yeah. it from Donna. And that's it from me because we have made such a hash of this um, podcast chat, everybody, <laughs> but it was fun. And if I ever find my notes, I'll put them up. <laughs> I, I think we did well. I think we did really well. <laughs> and truly, everyone, this book does speak for itself. Um, gee, should I recommend it? Oh, I don't know. All right, that's <laughs> it from uh, Writer on the Road.